Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the word-giving, insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now, on to today's message. Prison for teenagers. And so you might be thinking, man, this dude is crazy. And I might be thinking, you're probably right. But (laughs) my life is literally inundated with children. I have a daughter of my own, youth, and uh, teenagers with some pretty bad behavior disorders. Um, So I have this crazy unique perspective of dealing with kids and understanding what they think, how they feel, and uh, just how they make decisions. And I think as adults, we tend to forget what it was like to be a teenager. We forget what it felt like and what it, what it meant to be a teenager. And so I want to do a little thought experiment with you this morning. Um, if you want to, go ahead and close your eyes. Or don't close your eyes, actually. Um, <laughs> when I was growing up, my youth pastor, he would do this thing and he'd tell everyone to close their eyes. And then he'd go and he'd tell his little story. And then while he's telling his story, he'd get like right up in front of your face and keep going. And then he'd say, open your eyes. And he'd be right in front of your face and scare the living daylights out of me every time. So I'm scarred from that. So if you're like me, don't close your eyes. But if it helps you imagine, go ahead and close those eyes and imagine yourself at 14 years old. Yeah, (laughs) I was cute. What did you look like? What was your hairstyle? Maybe you had like a a big poofy thing from the 80s. Maybe you were rocking a mullet. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you're from the the, the early 2000s and you had the frosted spiky tips and the backwards upside down visor. Big old Gene Co. jeans and all of that. Um, (laughs) Imagine your cute little uh, greasy pimply face. (laughs) Imagine um, your fashion choices. Think about what was important to you at 14 years old. What did you care about? Maybe it was your family. Maybe it was your cute little puppy love boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it was uh, fitting in or just being accepted. But put yourself back to when you were 14 years old and just imagine this scenario. Imagine that you're on summer break and you just got your very first job. You're working McDonald's. You're flipping burgers, dropping fries, telling people the McFlurry machine don't work. (laughs) Y'all ever have that problem? Every time I go to McDonald's, I wait in line for like 15 or 20 minutes, and then I finally get up there and I say, yeah, I'll have a large M&M McFlurry, please, and the guy's like, yeah, it's broke. (laughs) Every time. I don't understand. That's a totally different story. Anyway, (laughs) so you're working at McDonald's. Meanwhile, back home, you've got a bunch of brothers And they're out of high school, they're done, but they're still living at home while you're out working. So this guy from VCU comes and he knocks on the door and your father answers the door and he says, Hey, I want to give one of your sons a full ride scholarship to VCU. Full ride scholarship to VCU. So your dad and all your brothers, they're dancing up and down and they're shouting. They're so excited about this. But the guy from VCU says, but there's one catch. I need to interview each one of them first. Like, okay. So, Dad, take, take everyone out into the living room. I'm going to stay here in the dining room and bring them in one by one. So, one by one, your dad brings in your brothers and the VCU representative, each one of them, he says, no, not you. No, not you. No, not you. No, not you. Meanwhile, you're still working at McDonald's and you have no idea any of this is going on. Now, imagine when you get home what you feel like. 
What do you feel like when you get home and you hear this story? You smell like a greasy, nasty french fry. <laughs> and you come home and your brothers tell you this story of how someone in the family is going to get a scholarship to VCU. But you didn't even know about it because you were working. Your own father forgot to even call you at work and say, hey, come home. Something pretty important is happening right now and you need to be a part of it. How does that make you feel at 14 years old? Man, that's terrible. So if you would um, turn with me in your Bible to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to start in verse 5. So a little background here. What's going on is uh, King Saul was the very first king of Israel. And he did some stuff that, let's just say, God didn't really approve of. <laughs> so God said, I'm going to remove you from the kingship of Israel. Not only that, I'm going to take away the kingdom from your lineage. So your son Jonathan isn't going to be king. His son's not going to be king. No one from your family will ever be king. And I'm going to give the kingship of Israel to another family. So God tells the prophet Samuel to go to a town called Bethlehem and go to this dude named Jesse who had a bunch of sons. And so we're going to pick up the story and Samuel's basically knocking on the door saying hello. So First uh, Samuel 16 verse 5. And Samuel says to Jesse, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, Jesse's first son, and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Surely this is the guy. This has got to be the next king. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. Aren't you thankful for that? The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So then, Jesse called his next son up. His name was Abidnadab. Can y'all say Abidnadab with me? That's a fun word, right? Abidnadab. Say it one more time, just because it's fun. Abidnadab. Now, I don't know your uh, theological leanings or anything, but you kind of just sort of almost maybe spoke in tongues. So we're Pentecostal here today. Abidnadab. That's awesome. So Jesse calls Abidnadab up in front of Samuel, and Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Not this one. And so Jesse had um, his next son, Shammah, pass by. And Samuel said, yeah, not this one either. Jesse had all of his sons, all seven, pass before him. And the Lord said, none of these. And so Samuel's thinking, man, maybe I got the wrong house. <laughs> maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Hey, Jesse, don't you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, well, yeah, I got the one. He's a little kid. He's out in the field tending sheep. But if you know the rest of the story, if you know the rest of the story of what happened, that little kid who was out in the field tending sheep by himself while his brothers were working, that little kid that everyone overlooked, he would go on to kill a giant with just a slingshot. That little shepherd boy that was overlooked by his own father would go on to win battle after battle after battle for the nation of Israel. That little kid who was working while everyone else was being lazy at home. That little kid would go on to be known as a man after God's own heart, and he would become the greatest king of Israel. And not only that, that little kid that everyone overlooked, he would go on to be the 
person that the line of Jesus actually came from. And that is a huge, incredible deal. And so the title of today's message is don't be a Jesse to the Davids in your life. Don't be a Jesse to the Davids in your life. Don't overlook the young people that God has put in your life that you're supposed to be investing in. Because so often we have a tendency to overlook young people we're supposed to be mentoring or being a spiritual father or mother to. They're too young. They're too lazy. They only care about themselves. They're always on their phone. They're always playing video games. They have no ambition. But the truth is, there's just a lack of spiritual father and motherhood in Christianity today. There's a lack of spiritual fatherhood and motherhood in Christianity today because it's less and less common to see men taking young boys under their wing and mentoring them and discipling them. It's less and less common to see women taking younger women and girls under their wing and discipling them and mentoring them. And yet we say that millennials have no ambition, that they're lazy, that they live like they're lost or they're just drifting through life. Maybe that's because they don't have a good guide. Maybe that's because they don't have a good guide. I think there's a lack of strong men and women taking these young people into their lives and pouring into them, encouraging them and challenging them. And maybe, just maybe, if we took all that energy and effort that we're putting into criticizing the next generation and took it into investing in and discipling them, we just might see some different outcomes. And the Apostle Paul knew the importance of this when he's talking to Titus. In uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 4, he says, The older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of this teaching. And so what he is telling Titus to do is to teach women to mentor women. He's telling Titus that you yourself, you need to be an example to the young men around you so that they can follow you and be, learn how to become a strong man of God or a strong woman of God. And that is so important and that's huge because as believers, we are called to invest in the lives of those younger than us or we're called to invest in the lives of those less spiritually mature than us. So my question is, who are you being a spiritual father or mother to? Who are you investing in? Because this is the very heart of God. This is discipleship. Every Christian should have a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, and they need to be investing in someone younger than them or less spiritually mature than them. If you don't have either, find one. There's so many young people that are just desperate, waiting for someone to care about them and invest in their life. And there's so many people that are desperate to do that, but they don't know where those people are. Find somebody. Talk to Pastor Mark. I'm sure he can point you in the right direction. Because um, the truth of the matter is this. If your Christianity consists of coming to church and listening to some songs and hearing some guy preach for 20 minutes, can I tell you you're doing it wrong? If your faith doesn't involve mentoring or discipling someone younger than you or less spiritually mature than you, you're missing something. You're missing something huge. And here's why that's so important. 
According to Barna Research, this is crazy. 64% of everybody who will ever accept Christ does so before their 18th birthday. 64% of everyone who will ever accept Jesus does so before their 18th birthday. So if you want to talk about the future of the church, you want to talk about the future of the faith, you want to talk about starting a revival, guess what? The future is here. The future is now. The future is sitting in our elementary schools and our middle schools and our high schools. That revival we're talking about is being stirred up right now as we speak beneath our feet in children's church right now. And that is such an incredible big deal. The next Billy Graham is working at McDonald's right now telling people that the McFlurry machine don't work. <laughs> Because <laughs> young people aren't just the future of the church. Young people are the church. Young people aren't just the future of the church. Young people are the church. When a young person accepts Jesus, they don't get a little kitty-sized cone, fun-sized version of Jesus. They get the whole thing. The Holy Spirit isn't in the business of giving out small little helpings of himself. He's in the business of giving everything he has. When your little four or five-year-old little kid accepts Jesus into their heart, that is huge. That is real. And we, say, we sit here and we say stuff like, oh, that's so cute. That's so precious. And it is cute and it is precious, but it is so much more than that. Because that little four or five-year-old doesn't get a little four or five-year-old helping of Jesus. They get the whole thing. They get the same life-giving, miracle-working, transforming, beaten, bloodied, crucified, risen again, death-conquering Jesus that you and I have. They get the same access and power and freedom in Christ that we do. And it's our responsibility to show them how to use that, to show them how to live and walk righteously with the Lord. They've got to know and they've got to believe that the generations before them care about them. And they've got to see that in action as well. So this concept is so important to Jesus that technically, I might be like stretching some theology here, but technically it's the 11th commandment. Y'all know the 10 commandments, right? So in Deuteronomy, uh, God gives Moses the 10 commandments. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses tells the people the 10 commandments. And then if you turn to Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, this is what God says. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. So that's basically the Ten Commandments summed up. And here's the next part. This is huge and this is so important. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you go home and when you're walking along the road. When you lie down and when you wake up. And my question, how many of you are doing that who have kids? How many of us are talking about the things of God with our children when we're going to the grocery store? Or how many of us give them an iPad with bubble guppies so they shut up? <laughs> That's real talk. <laughs> um, how many of us are praying for our children when, they, when we put them to bed? How many of us are teaching them about the things of God during the day, whatever you do. And then it goes on to say, 
And tie, these, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so what all this tells me is that investing in the next generation isn't just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Wednesday thing. It's not just a hear little Johnny go to youth group, hear little Sally go to children's church and let them do it for me. It's God is calling us to make investing in the next generation just a way of life, just simply a way that we live. Every time you walk through your door, you're going to see what you're supposed to be doing, according to this verse. See, God calls us to mold. He says the word, impress this on the next generation. Make it a part of your life to pour into young people. Now, if you think back to that younger self, little 14-year-old pimply-faced little version of yourself, Maybe 15, 16, 17. How many of you had like this crazy sense of optimism? Like everything's going to work out. I can be whatever I want. Everything's going to be awesome. The world is amazing. I know I did. I don't know, some of you. Um, but what happens when you get older? <laughs> Life happens. You hit trials. You hit roadblocks. Stuff might, go the way, might not go the way you thought it would go. And so we get cynical. We get grizzled. We get discouraged. And then before you know it, we're that grumpy old man sitting on the front porch telling kids to get off my lawn. <laughs> but see, kids aren't like that. They still have that youthful exuberance. They still have this blind optimism. And yeah, a little bit might be naivety, but we still need to be pouring into that. Why? Because they've got all the energy. They've got all the energy. And so if you take that energy and combine it with that youthful optimism and exuberance and we funnel it through mentorship and discipleship, man, the possibilities are endless. We can change this world. And I think, amen, I think that's why Jesus chose teenagers to be his disciples. Did you know that? Did you know that? Jesus was a youth pastor. Jesus had a youth group. Most scholars think that the disciples were between the ages of 14 and 20. That's crazy to think, isn't it? Now, why is that? I think it's because Jesus knew the importance of investing in the next generation early, but he also knew that taking youthful energy and exuberance and optimism and coupling it with deep, intense discipleship could change the world. And that's exactly what happened. Because these 11 teenagers from a podunk little fishing town, and I say 11 because we all know one of them didn't work out so well. <laughs> these 11 teenagers from a little podunk fishing village that people said nothing good could ever come from there. They went on to literally change the world. The Bible says that they turned the world upside down. That's crazy. Little teenagers. And it's because of their work that you and I are here today. It's because of an adult that took the time to invest in the generation that you and I are here in church worshiping Jesus today. And so if 64% of Christians accept Jesus before they turn 18, don't you think it's urgent that we invest in them now? Don't you think it's important to pour into the lives of our kids before they turn 18? We have a very limited amount of time to reach them. And so, I got this jar full of beans. Anyone want to guess how many beans are in here? 
A lot. <laughs> There's actually 936 beans. For real. I counted them last night. I didn't know I could count that high, but I can. <laughs> 936 beans. And every bean in here represents one week in the life of a child from the time they're born to the time they turn 18. So that's 936 weeks that you have to make an impact on a child before they're 18 years old. This one? This represents a child at 10 years old. There's 416 beans. 416 weeks that you have to make an impact on a child before they turn 18. So you can get them into that 64% of kids that know Jesus. This one? It's a 16 year old. It's 104 beans. 104 weeks that you have to make an impact on a 16-year-old's life. And do you remember being 16 years old? How many weeks did you feel like no one cared about you? How many weeks did you feel like you just wanted to die? How many weeks did you feel like you, no one thought you were important or took the time to invest in your life? That's time gone. That's time falling away. And so you can see for each of these kids, the time that we have with them is so precious. And as the Bible says, we are supposed to be impressing the things of God on these kids. And so you can see we need to be intentional about our time and how we invest into the lives of our young people. Because we only have this short amount of time, 936, 416, and 104 weeks. Let's invest in them now and prepare them to be strong and mighty men and women of God. Don't overlook the Davids in your life. In March 2015, Harvard Center on the Developing Child released a study saying every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. I'm going to read that again. Every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. If you're here today, you probably had one of those relationships. See, my work in Bonaire Juvenile Correctional Facility, I see this firsthand. 90% of the kids that I work with have not had a stable relationship with a supportive adult. In fact, Jail, prison, is the first place a lot of these kids hear the words, I care about you. Think about that. Jail is the first place that a 16, 17, 18, 19, even 20-year-old kid hears, I care about you. Don't overlook the Davids in your life. Psalm 78 4 through 8 says, We will not hide them from our descendants. He's talking about the things of the Lord. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of God, his power, and the wonders he has done, which he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and in turn they would tell their children. They would put their trust in God and would not forget his would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation. 
If that hits you in the heart, that's not me saying it. That's the word of God. Whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. There's an at-risk teen expert that I follow. His name is Josh Shipp. And he puts it like this. He says, The difference between a teen, become, a teen becoming a statistic or a success is one caring adult. That's all it takes. All it takes in the life of a teenager to move them from becoming a statistic of failure, someone in Bonaire Juvenile Correctional Facility, and someone who is a success, the next Billy Graham, the next great evangelist, the next pastor of this church, is one caring adult. So my question is, will you be that adult to somebody? Will you be someone that invests your time, your efforts, and your resources into the next generation? Don't overlook the young people in your life that God is calling you to invest in. Don't be a Jesse to the Davids in your life. Find a young person. Share your story with them. Share your ups and share your downs. Share your triumphs and your failures. And just know, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't even have to have it all together. You don't even have to, have to be cool. You just have to care. You just have to show a kid that you care. Share about your journey. Spend time with them. And if you don't know a young person to invest in, Come talk to me. I know a ton of them. We're starting a youth group here. And we need leaders. We need people who care about investing in this next generation. And if you're interested in becoming a part of that, I'm going to be outside right after service. Um, and I just ask that you fill out your information. It's not a commitment. It's just saying, hey, I'd like to know more. So we'll do that. Um, also here at Thrive, we have a, a ministry that goes to the correctional facility and does ministry with the kids. And let me tell you, they desperately need it. They have, just like anyone else, but maybe even a little more so, they have no hope without Jesus in their life. And so if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you're here today and you're someone who hasn't been mentoring someone younger than you or less spiritually mature than you, but you want to do that, just throw your hand up right now. Thank you. And with your hand raised, just know this isn't just saying, I would like to do this in the future. You are making a commitment right here, right now, before God. Saying, I will take my time and my energy and my resources, and I will invest in the next generation so I can see them become a success. So if that's you, if your hand is raised, pray this with me. God, I pray that you would help me be a good mentor to the next generation. I commit myself, my time, and my energy to invest in the next generation. Teach me how to do this. Teach me how to be a discipler. In Jesus' name, amen.